This is Think Smart with TMFG, your weekly podcast of what's newsworthy and relevant to everyday Canadians. With your host, Senior Financial Advisor Rob McClelland and Mike Conan of Asante Capital Management. Today on Think Smart with TMFG, Mike and I are going to be discussing tight wads and spendthrifts, how couples should be handling money in their relationships, both before and in retirement. Now, for this one, I got to give credit to one of our favorite podcasts coming from The Rational Reminder. And they interviewed Scott Rick, and he is the author of Tight Wads and Spendthrifts. And after hearing this podcast, I went out and got the book, went to Amazon. So just to prove I'm not that much of a tight watch, <laughs> I went and bought the book and took a read through. And it's a phenomenal book. So I got to give full credit out to Scott. He went and did research on couples and how they handle their finances and what are the more successful ways. So for anyone who is having any issues at home with this, I suggest they order the book on Amazon and uh, take a read through. So so between tight watts and spendthrifts, I guess we're on different ends of this, aren't we? <laughs> we certainly are. I would I'm certainly not a tight wad. Yeah. I'm I'm more in the category of a, a spendthrift, although I, I think I spend wisely. I'm gonna talk a little bit about how how I got there. You know, it's interesting. My mom was a shopper. Uh, we always used to joke that my mom would, was a great shopper. She always looked great, had great clothes. My dad wasn't a, a shopper, but he wasn't a tightwad. He just sort of, it was just not that important to him. He looked, you know, he was a pretty good dresser when he was under 50. After 50, I'd say he deteriorated. He fell into the old man syndrome. You know, he drove reasonably nice cars, but never expensive cars. It just wasn't where his passion was. Yeah. I I guess I'm trying to break free. My parents were definitely on the tight wad side of things. So I've been trying to break free from that and doing my best, but it's it's always difficult. You know, we, we had, I don't think until I was, until my dad was, I think he was 62 when he bought his first new car, which, which is a bit of a, a weird thing to do. He had the finances do it. He wasn't poor, but just wouldn't spend money on things like that. So in couples, What's the best combination, Mike? So and and what's the evidence and 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 what can we learn from what's the best combination? How should people handle their money if they're living together for, you know, they're they're either married or they're they've moved in together? How should they be handling their money? Well, so the research was quite interesting. It turns out that many times people are attracted to the opposite. And what happens is it's funny when you get into tight wads and spendthrifts and the idea of the different mentality behind it, you think people want to be how they are, but on those, everyone's at a scale, right? So they go through a scale. If you're, if you're very cheap or you got, or you like to spend money, there's a different scale of where you end up. And when people are on one end of the scale, sometimes they don't like that trait in themselves. So again, I, I don't like that I have trouble spending money. It's very difficult for me to spend money. You know, if you set a trait I don't like in my own personality, it's my resistance to spending money. I can't get enjoyment out of it. it hurts too much. And I don't love that trait. So when we go and find spouses that can spend freely and have that openness, sometimes we find that to be a very attractive feature in someone. 
And again, people who like to spend very openly need the financial support of the tightwad <laughs> to get them through it. Otherwise, there will be enough money there. So initial attraction tends between people on the opposite end of the scale. That can also lead to conflict if I think about it. Well, that's the later problem. Happiness <laughs> in, yeah. in couples is not generally related. Uh, when you take that couple down the road a lot long ways, it's not related to be on the opposite end of the scale. So you and I have been working together for 25 plus years. We've been business partners for 20 of those years. You're certainly the tightwad. I'm certainly the spendthrift. But it's been a good balance because you keep me under control and I keep us moving forward. Yeah, there's got to be a compromise between it. What you find is when you have the extremes, you know, tightwads and tightwads tend to do okay because they financially, number one, they do very well because, I mean, you, you might look at this, the people that spend a lot of money, but financially, if you are very cheap on spending, you're going to have lots of money. And again, there tends to be a bit of a problem on the scale of the spendthrifts and the spendthrifts because they run into financial problems, which again creates tension in relationships. So I figured out a quick fix for that very early on in my career, and that was forced savings. And so, you know, reading The Wealthy Barber and, and the first lesson there is to pay yourself first. And so I've always done a really good job of paying myself first. And then whatever was left over was mine to spend is how I viewed it. What about yourself? Did you ever pay yourself first? Have you always done that? Always done that. You know, it's, it, it's interesting. You, you keep a budget, right? I don't keep a budget, but I, I have a four savings plan. I know whatever's left over is just mine. So I don't worry about where it goes because I'm just going to spend the leftover. And both ways work. If you like to keep budgets, it's a fantastic thing to do. But if you're not going to be adamant about writing down everything you spend and keeping track of it all, the best thing to do is just take whatever needs to be saved and you can spend the rest of the remainder freely. So I thought it might be interesting to explore just some of the things that, you know, what's a tightwad really like? Like what are, what are some things where you know you're being a tightwad and we'll compare my opinion on what you think of? Me, I think, I know things that I do. <laughs> is, you know, for me, I have trouble spending. Big thing I always talk about is razor blades. Razor blades drive me insane. I used to go and buy razor blades and they'd be, it's funny, shaving seems like a minor thing, but they're locked up behind a counter. You need to ask the person for a key to get a razor blades because they're so expensive for a little box of razor blades. It's $20. So if you go to shoppers, you have to go bring a person over to get out your razor blades and get your $20 worth of razor blades. It used to drive me insane, the price of it. I've actually shaved with a straight razor because I'm too cheap to buy the money for the blades. <laughs> so, Whereas you see, I don't buy the highest end razor blade. I buy the the good disposables. I don't go to the dollar store for my disposables, but I buy the good disposables. And I probably go through one pack of five over a year, or maybe you know, a pack of seven over a year. I don't change them that much. They last at least a good six weeks. Yeah. It, it's funny when we- And the pack is $10 a year. So you really are a tight one. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a hard $10 to part with. Even when we go on conferences, it's funny. I'll go and every now and again, when we go in these conferences, I'll have to room with uh, Carlo. And every time I go room with him, he has great hair product. 
And I always enjoy using this. I steal his hair product. As soon as I go in the washroom, I use it. And it's, it's fantastic. And I ask him how much it is. It's 30 or $40 for a little piece of a hair product. I don't think I've ever spent more than $5 on hair product in my life. I do enjoy the nice hair products, but it's very difficult for me to go to the store and spend that type of money on a hair product. What about toothpaste? Toothpaste, jelly go, whatever's on sale. So you don't buy the good quality toothpaste? No, I mean, whatever's on sale that week, if it's Colgate, Crest, and whatever the one was uh, for Sensodyne, one day that was on week. So my teeth felt good for a week when I was using Sensodyne. So there's a new app out that we've been using in our, in our family over the last month, and you can actually take any barcode and put it in, and it tells you whether it's a good product or not. Yeah. I assume you wouldn't ever use an app like that. Probably not. <laughs> if, if, because if you had to spend a dollar more on the toothpaste, you wouldn't do that. You would just go for the cheaper $1.99 toothpaste. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. So now you're starting to understand what a tight wad looks like. So I hope the audience is picking up on that. What about eating lunch? Eat now, lunch. We, we often go to Tim's and, and I know normally my cost of my lunch is double your cost. Yeah. It sounds like advertised for Tim Cravables, but they're under $5. Okay. So- yeah, it's, I went to- Where mine is typically closer to $9. Now, I'm not getting the donut or the coffee or any of that, but just the sandwich is $9 versus $5. I went to Subway last week and I had a six-inch sub with a pop and it was close to $14. We're, and I think that's the last time I ever go to Subway again. Okay, so we've seen the side of the of the spend, or sorry, certainly of the, the tight wad. What about myself as a spendthrift? I, I prefer new. I prefer new clothes. Yeah. How do I justify that? I take a lot of clothes to Goodwill yeah. and, and Value Village so that I, I know someone else can make better use of those clothes. You don't have any clothes over two years in your in your closet. No, do I do, but not many. Yeah. They they had they would have to be very, very comfortable clothes. Yeah. And then they last. My my closet is still from the nineteen eighties. <laughs> I like going on good vacations. I, I won't stay probably in a two star or less hotel. It's got to be at least a three, preferably a four. Really a five, but the odd time. It was funny. This author had a great comment on this podcast I listened to. They talked about spending and when you have couples on each side of it. And he had a great suggestion. He said, when it comes to making purchases, you should let the tightwad decide on the purchases. When it comes to vacation experiences, you should let the spend thrift go and spend on the experiences because that's a problem where the people who are tight with cash have a very tough time to deal with because there's nothing to show for it afterwards. But the experiences are worth quite a bit. I had a client reach out to me recently and they asked me, you know, are you better to manage your money separately? Are you better to manage it together? What's the best strategy? You and I have worked with lots of couples over the years, some who manage it completely independently, some who manage it somewhat together, and some who manage it completely jointly. Let's talk about those who manage it completely independently. In fact, so independently that they have to write each other checks and e-transfer each money each week based on the different balances that they owe. It does, it does cause problems over time. And I guess it's okay if everyone had equal incomes. Many times couples don't have equal incomes. And then it puts it one person in a very odd position because one person is a controlling position over the other which can be very awkward in a relationship over time. Let's go to those who manage it somewhat together. Is that an improvement from your perspective? Yeah, many times. 
you know, personally, how I've always done finances is I've always felt to have a lot in a joint account. Everything is in a joint account, but I'll have other joint accounts that's for my spouse to manage on their own. So I, I don't want to know everything they spend their money on. I don't want them to have limitations or they have to ask me about anything. I found the one problem with my problem because I tend to run things pretty tightly. I do a lot of savings. There may not be a ton of money always in, let's say, my bank account because I would have put into different investments. If I have someone that's using my account for daily needs, I want to, I like to know where my balance is at all times. So I don't want someone randomly taken out of that account. But what I've always done is have my own account that I'll run that way, that's a joint account, and they'll have their own account that's a joint account. They run theirs on their own way. So they're all joint, but we can each keep track of things. Not very different. Ingrid has her own account. Money goes into it. She can spend it as she wishes. We have a joint account. She has access to it. It's really my account that's become the joint account. And that's where 90% of the transactions take place. And it's my job to make sure there's money in it. And I use it as my bank account if needed. From an estate planning point of view, joint accounts always make sense. There are special exceptions to that. If you receive money from an inheritance, it's good to keep it in your own account because if you co-mingle it, it becomes a, a joint asset. Or if there's any you know, some people are on second marriages and want to keep their accounts separate. So there there are reasons for running separate bank accounts. But generally speaking, I find the joint accounts seem to work a bit better. When it comes to financial planning, is it better to have it being done independently or together? I find jointly makes a ton more sense. So I'm going to use some examples that have come across recently. I have one particular client where they have a very good sized corporate account that's the husband's, the wife also works, makes good income, but she has a big investment account. And the husband doesn't want to take out money out of his corporate account because he'll have to pay taxes. Uh, the wife doesn't want to take money out of her investment account because the husband doesn't share money from the corporate account. So the end result is they don't do the savings they're supposed to do. They don't take advantage of the tax-free savings account the way they should. They don't take advantage of RSP contributions the way they should or could, and they don't take advantage of registered educational savings plans. And, and so I see this and I'm like, have you two ever thought of at least bringing some of it closer together so you can take advantage of all these great things that are out there? Some of it, which is free money from the government. Yeah. But people get stuck in their patterns and, and don't want to make that change. And that makes it more difficult, for sure. What I've historically done is when you can deal with joint accounts, you can, you can still have your, let's say, your ownership. Put one spouse's name first on one account to put the other spouse's name first on the other account. Everyone knows whose accounts is whose, but they still work for all the planning sake of things. We've touched on this one before, and we've talked about, you know, helping your kids with money. And I had a client reach out to me again just recently. They are approaching retirement, not yet in retirement, and they feel like they've got reasonable amount of money. And they're, they've got some three children, and they're, they're one in particular who might need more money than the others, and they feel that it might be a good time to distribute money to their kids. Without giving you any more details, Mike, what are your initial thoughts on that? Well, you have to be careful with distributing money. I mean, kids have to understand and show they have responsibility with money before you can actually get into their hands. So along the way, money is something that has to be taught. 
And we've talked about this before. It is a shame that in the school, they don't really teach you that much about how to handle money, how to budget, and all those different details that is so important in life. It's probably one of the more important things in life that has no training on it. So a parent's job is to teach kids this, but it's not a great lesson just to hand them a bunch of money and say, here, let's go from here. Not that it's right. I feel that my wife, Ingrid, and I have done a reasonable job with our kids. When they were younger, we always gave them an allowance. Some of that money had to go into charity. Some of it had to go into savings, and the rest was for spending. I went for a period of time where I I committed to covering the tax until they were about 15. So if there was any income tax on the purchase, even if they were buying candy, I would cover the tax. (laughs) I felt that was my responsibility. But the one thing we did very early on is we let them know when they were in their early teens, you know, 13, 14, it was time to start working. It was time to get a job. Whatever that job may be, you need a summer job. Now, I didn't want them working during the school year. I felt school was too important to them to be allocating time outside of school to work. But when they had free time, I wanted them working. And that has really paid off because all three of them have starting work is exactly what they expected to do. They knew they weren't going to be living off of their parents. Yeah. It just, it gives you the, the idea of getting used to being busy too. And when you can find jobs, you know, I got my son, I I pushed him in McDonald's at the time, but it was probably one of the greater experiences of you're just busy when you get there. They, they have systems, you're busy, you learn to work with people, you you get friends. And now my daughter's working now too. So she's getting used to that. It's a good experience for them to go through. Another thing to do, there are always going to be expenses that you cover for your kids. And I, I think it's your job to gradually wean them off of those things. So, you know, the child turns 16, they may want a car. Maybe you want to help out with the car. Should you buy them a brand new car? No, you've got to have them have a little skin in the game. And and so maybe they put pay for a third of the car. Yeah. You're not buying a new car. It's a used car. I have some friends who bought their kids Brand new cars that are $30,000, $40,000 when they're 16. It makes absolutely no sense. And I can tell you, none of those kids are working today and they're in their mid-20s. Yep. They're still living off the system. And it all started when they were 16, they got a brand new car. Yep. I did a little differently. Again, not necessary and it's perfect. But I said, if you're buying a $7,000 car, I'll pay for half of it. You pay, I'll pay for two thirds, you pay for a third, but you owe me the other third over the next five years. Yep. And gradually they've paid off that loan and I just give them the last third of it. Yep. Gas the same way. I cover gas up until, you know, they start making some money in the summer. Then I don't cover gas anymore. Same with insurance. Yeah. All those little things that you gradually cut them off. Cell phones has been a tougher one. Yeah. But now they all work and they... Their companies probably give them more money than yep. is necessary for their cell phones. It was funny. There was, again, on that one podcast we listened to, and it might have been the same author. They were talk, telling a story about how to give kids value. And it was a, a grandparent talking about how to give kids value. And he was telling a story about his granddaughter wanted, a grandson wanted Lego. And he said, usually you'd go in the store and bring your granddaughter in and buy them what they wanted. But he said, this time he decided to do it a little bit differently. He got the cash out of the bank machine that was required to buy the Lego. 
a Lego set would be a Lego is pretty expensive now. You can spend oh, hundred dollars on a Lego set. So he went and gave her the hundred dollars and twenty dollar bills and made her go to the cash register and purchase a Lego. Then he he said she turned around and said, "That's awful expensive. This isn't Granddad." And I thought it was a a great a great idea to do to give. You can still give them the presents. But if you just put it on your Visa card and hand it to, to the child, they have no comprehension of how much it is. When they actually have the dollars in their hand and they have to part with it, they establish a value. They to might that. decide to hold on to a little bit more than they originally thought. Whereas you pull out the magic Visa card and you know you tap it and walk out of the store with the brand new Lego set. Yeah, and that was other studies that were in the book. It talked about spending on Visa versus spending in cash and credit card spending is much less painful at the time than spending in cash. Again, when they talked about couples controlling their spending, the first thing, visas are very, very convenient, very easy, attracts everything. But if you're not great with money and you have money spending problems, the first thing to do is get rid of the visa. So what's the advice to couples if they are managing things independently? How do they start? Can they just start small and start sharing some expenses and maybe stop passing money back and forth? Your household expenses, keep a joint account for your household expenses. Everything that's related to the household, keep in a joint account. Maybe both you fund a, a similar amount of money to it. If it's two working people, you fund, you figure, let's say your household expenses are going to be $8,000 a month. You'd be each putting $4,000 a month into the joint account, and that's where all the household expenses get run out of. Even a, a straight percentage might make more sense. There's always going to be income inequality. No matter what, no matter even if you started making $50,000 each, by the time you get close to 100000 if you get there, one's going to be at 80, one's going to be at 120. And you never know which one and you never know where the next raise is coming from. Yep. So you don't want to have to, I, I think you're putting more pressure on a relationship when you put money in the middle of it. Well, we can tell you what doesn't work in relationships is hold money over people's heads never works well in a relationship and it will lead to disaster. So you got to always make sure that that's not part of your, let's say, financial arrangements within your relationships. That brings us to the end of another week. Thank you for joining us. This is Rob and Mike with Think Smart from the McClellan Financial Group of Asante Capital Management, helping you to live a successful retirement. been listening to the McClellan Financial Group of Asante Capital Management Limited. Asante Capital Management Limited is a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and the Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. Insurance products and services are provided through Asante Estate and Insurance Services Incorporated. This material is provided for general information and is subject to change without notice. Every effort has been made to compile this material from reliable sources. However, no warranty can be made as to its accuracy or completeness. Before acting on any of the previous information, please make sure to see a professional advisor for individual financial advice based on your personal circumstances. The opinions expressed are those of the authors and not necessarily those of Asante Capital Management Limited.